0: Our sermon scripture for today comes from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 17, and I'll be reading the fifth through the tenth verse. Hear ye the word of the Lord. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He, he being Jesus, replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. God's word for God's people and God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Just a bit of transparency, Uh, when I was preparing for this sermon, I almost did not pick this scripture, but then I'll remember this is why I preach the lectionary. Lectionary is a three-year rotating calendar that works your way through different verses. Uh, There are some times, uh, you know, given when uh, uh, Walter Scott and uh, Alton Sterling and things of that nature have happened where I've... uh, gone away from the lectionary because I felt it was my duty to preach on that as opposed to what the calendar was saying. But I preach this calendar because I'm a young preacher and I want to be able to uh, get some experience working through different passages. And one thing I found in all of these commentaries when I was preaching or preparing for this sermon is everybody said, this is a hard passage to preach Uh, you may want to miss out on this one. You may want to pick one of the other passages, but this is the exact reason I preach the scripture. Uh, Not so much for the faith as small as a mustard seed. People love that verse. But uh, for the verses that come after, talking about servants doing their duty. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, when I was working on my MBA, I remember I had a particular professor. I took him for some, organizational behavior classes and I took him for a project management class. And two things I remember about Dr. Uchenna Nabueze when he was teaching these classes is the very first day we had to turn in a paper and Dr. Nabueze said, alright, before we turn in this paper, raise your hand if you used five sources or more to write this five page paper nobody raised their hand except for one or two people who had taken the, pa- the, the, the class before. Raise your hand if you use three sources. A lot of people raised their hands and he said, I don't want your papers. Nobody cares what you think until you have a PhD. So if you want to turn in a paper in my class, I need a minimum of five sources for the paper. No matter how long the paper is, I remember that and then I also remember a book we had to read uh, called Execution by Larry Bossidy and Ram Charan, And and in this book, uh, I won't bore you with all the details, but the basic point of this business book is that people get all caught up in strategies and they get all caught up in titles and they get all caught up in these different business plans that they're trying to ex- to, to, to implement. But what matters most is execution. You don't get caught up in putting together these plans and and if you put together these plans and you don't execute it it's all for not so it doesn't matter about your fancy words basically what is it are you doing and jesus was actually talking to the disciples about the things that they need to do uh and they were asking for an increase in faith uh I read verses 5 through 10 of chapter 17, but when he talks about in verses 1, it's talking about not causing other people to stumble. Uh, He talks about not getting in the way to anybody. And then he says that it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck if they cause the little ones, the children, that is, to stumble. I don't know about you, but can you think of an organization that's built on the backs of seniors and sometimes when the young people come in to say an organization, they kind of get in their way? I don't know. I can't think of any organizations that we could talk about right now, but there's something about that where the seniority, there's a place for seniority, but sometimes it's overvalued. Uh, And he talks about don't get in, don't cause the little ones to stumble. And then it says later on, he says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times a day and seven times come back and say, and I repent, you must forgive them. We are to forgive those who trespass against us. Isn't that what God, Jesus said in the prayer, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so he tells these disciples, if you want to be a follower of me, if you want to follow this way, you're going to have to forgive those people because that is what this thing boils down to if we talk about what we are supposed to do as Christians we are supposed to love God and love people and if we got to love people that means we got to forgive and so he says that they have to forgive and they have to keep forgiving and that's when they say whoa I don't know Jesus if I'm qualified to do that that sounds like a big job Can we have some more faith in order to do this big job that you have put in front of us? And then that's where he comes and he says that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. So the faith that they're needing, and we talk about the mustard seed a lot and it's small and and, and, and it's, that this parable is told in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke again before when he talks about it, in Matthew 13:31, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his fields, though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds cannot come and perch in its branch or the birds can come rather and perch in its branches and he tells that in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke so obviously all three authors thought that this was important but i would submit to you that it is important not because of its size talking about you need just a little bit of faith and it'll grow into something big and you can do great things but the mustard seed was used not because of its size but because of its position The mustard seed is supposed to do a job. And what he's talking about when he talks about exercising this faith is he's saying do your job. I don't expect too many amens, but I'm going (laughs) to preach it anyway. You don't need a great deal of faith. You don't need these big old titles. You don't need these big jobs to do stuff. Just do what you're supposed to do. Stay in your lane. Take care of your own business. Sweep around your own front porch. Do your job. One of my first official jobs I had was in Indianapolis as a bagger at Kroger. I used to walk three blocks to, from Riviera Street, walk to Uh, uh, Michigan Road, take Michigan Road North, bus right on 86th Street, and I would go to Kroger. That was the first job I had where, you know, they paid me over the table, and I had a W-2 and all this stuff, and so I, I bagged groceries. Bagged groceries for a year to buy my first car. I know because I remember every time I got to $50, I would give those $50 to my mom, and she would take it and give it to Miss Edmonds, and she would give it. And then I did that to buy the car until I got to able to buy the car. And then I did it again to get the engine and the transmission taken care of. So this '89 Hyundai Excel four-speed, red with the cream interior, that I put my own sound system in, hand hand did every wire. I I I I spent time with it. When you work for something, you appreciate it a lot more. But I remember working at this job, and I was a bagger. They told me if I put in enough work, eventually I'd be a cashier. That never happened, but I'd I'd still bag there for a little over a year, and I had to do a couple things as a bagger. You would sit at the edge of the the counter where they were scanning and getting the groceries, and you'd bag the groceries. And If the customer wanted you to, you would uh, take the groceries to their car and put it in the trunk for them, and every now and then you got a little change for it other thing I had to do was on a rotation was clean the bathrooms. So at least twice in one day, I'd have to clean one of the bathrooms. And I didn't mind. I, I feel like you go to a place, the bathrooms need to be clean, and so I didn't mind cleaning the bathrooms. But the other thing I had to do, the third thing that was part of my job as a bagger at Kroger in Indianapolis, Indiana, was I had to clear the parking lot of shopping carts at least twice during an eight-hour shift. They put it on a shift, and you had a little deal. They had a schedule that was posted up. You knew when everybody was taking lunch. You knew when everybody was taking their two 15-minute breaks. You knew when everybody had to go on the bathroom duty. And you knew when everybody had to do on cart duty. And I was a bit of an athlete in high school, and so I liked pushing in the carts. And I was was there as one of my other teammates. We both worked together, and we thought we were something else. We'd run all the way to the other end of the parking lot, grab all the carts, and we'd stack 25, 35, 50 carts in a row and push them in. And I thought it was, I laughed because I'd be pushing these carts so hard. And when I got to the door where they were supposed to be in, you know, I'd throw them in and yell, yeah! and everybody jumped out the way. I thought I was doing something because I was strong and I was fast. And I wanted people to look at me whenever they were behind on carts, call Johnny because Johnny's going not get that parking lot clean because I'm strong, and everybody needs to look at me. But lo and behold, I had to push in carts one day, and, and, and then I, I didn't catch up as, as much as I would like to, and my half-hour shift was over. And there was another gentleman that worked there. He was a considerably older gentleman as well, but he, he, he was retired, and he just sort of worked at Kroger to pass the time. And, and uh, he would only get four or five carts at a time get five carts, push them in, go get another five carts, push them in, go get another five carts, push them in. And I thought that was funny. Look at me grabbing 50 carts and throwing them in and yelling and screaming, here's this guy getting five, six carts at a time. But he was able to clear the parking lot and I wasn't. Cause he did his job and he did it without the accolades and he did it as his duty. And he did it in small increments. And I started watching him. And every time he did it, he always cleared the lot. Didn't say nothing about it. Didn't say, look at me. Didn't do anything. He just did his job. And I learned something about that. And I think we can all learn something about that. If we stay in our lanes. Just do our job. There's a job to be done. In the text, he talks about uh, going out in, in, in the text, and he talks about, it. suppose one of your servants is looking at the sheep. There's a job to be done. If they're plowing, there's a job to be done. But when the servant comes in, there's still a job to be done. And that's to take care of what the master wants before you take care of yourself. Whew. Take care of what the master wants before you take care of yourself. And so just as my coworker at the time was able to take care of his job and put his head down and do what he needed to do, he did a better job than I did. So take care of the master before you take care of yourself. And I got to bring it up because it's here, and one day I'll talk about it, but not today. Uh, one day I'll talk about it because it, it's in the text, and I'll talk about Talking, uh, Jesus is using an example of, of masters and slaves or servants. One day I'll talk about, but not today, how there's this myth going around that black people did not become Christians until after slavery. One day I'll talk about the fact that there's a a tribe by the name of the Asenes that was all over that area and was in in, 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 in the Middle East and also as far as Nigeria into Africa, and they were responsible for maintaining the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the oldest copies of our scriptures. One day I'll talk about that, but not today. One day I'll talk about a man by the name of Ignatius of Antioch Mm -hmm. that lived from about 30 AD to about 100 AD. Mm -hmm. And he wrote letters to some of those same places in Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians. He wrote letters to those same churches Mm -hmm. uh, that, that Paul wrote to, but he wrote his afterwards. And he got his education in Carthage. You may not have heard of Carthage, but it's modern-day Tunisia right now. And if you ever look at a globe, I'd like you to know where Tunisia sits. Africa. I, I, I'll let you know. But, but that was from 300 to 100 A.D. But that, that's a little bit before slavery, which started in the 1600s. You have these people talking about Jesus who were educated in Africa. I'll talk about that one day, but not today. I'll talk about one day how they talk, that they think that Constantine was the reason in 325 A.D. that we had Christianity, that he actually did not make Christianity in 325 A.D. He just legalized it, and that he didn't legalize it to win a war. He legalized it to, to unite the country under a state religion, and even though he did it not for some sort of military strategic uh, conversion that his our own mama Had converted to Christian well, what is called Christianity now. His own mama converted to Christianity while it was still illegal. Hmm. I'll talk about that to one day. But not today. I'll talk about how they can go to the continent of Africa and see temples built just like King Solomon built his temples to God. But this is a white man's religion that they only God is bigger than white, black, grain, or brown. This was not just a white man's religion. We did not pick up Christianity because of slavery. As a matter of fact, even when they taught Christianity to the slaves and different things of that nature, they didn't let them read. You didn't let them read because you would have learned that in the Bible when they talk about slavery, the only people that actually went into slavery was to pay off a debt. And that every seven years, they we let go free. Mm -hmm. And so you you don't want anybody to actually know how to read the Bible and understand that this was an agreement that every country was using because you want to keep them slaves for hundreds of years. I might talk about that one day. Someday I'll get to that point. I'll get to the point then, but one day we'll talk about the whole slavery and black people and Christianity thing, but I'll just move on right now. Do your job. Take care of what needs to be taken care of first. Then take care of yourself. So they had a request. We need more faith. And Jesus gave them a response. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, and he uses the mustard seed versus the mulberry tree because the mustard seed is small, but it does its job. And the mulberry tree is large. And it talks about the roots because apparently the mulberry tree, deep, the roots run deeper than most other plants and can get as high as 60 feet as well. They, they, they run their course. And so he's saying if you just do your job, if you just do what you're supposed to do, if you just stay in your lane, you can take care of great things. Ah. Remember a joke one pastor said, he was talking about another church, and he, uh, not this church, but he was talking about another church, and he said that he was old school. And what he meant by old school was, is if he brought the plates to the potluck, if he brought the paper plates and the paper cuts to the potluck, he deserved his name in the bulletin. We get caught up in title, we get caught up and what kind of position we have. And Jesus is telling us we need to do our own thing. I love football. (laughs) And one thing that I've been finding very interesting is uh, even though I'm not a fan of them as a team, but the New England Patriots been consistently winning time after time after time They have a system in place that Bill Belichick Belichick put in place so that people who you thought their career was over are able to get in this system, do their job, and win championships and have stellar, spectacular seasons. Everybody does their job. I was listening to a conference call that they replayed on a sports show and Wes Welker, one of the, uh, no, um, it wasn't Wes Welker, it was uh, Adelman, Julian Edelman. He was on the conference call and, and they were concerned about whether or not he was going to play quarterback. He played quarterback in college, but when he moved to the Patriots, he played wide receiver. He changed his job for the betterment of the team he did what he needed to do for the betterment of the team and now that they've had several quarterbacks get injured Tom Brady is suspended for letting the air out of footballs and then the second string quarterback is injured and the third string quarterback got injured after he trounced the Texans speaking about doing your job oh lord come on because they are able to just do their job you can take a team with a third string rookie, rookie quarterback ain't played a game and make a $72 million quarterback Mm -hmm. look like they have no business out on the field. Do your job. (laughs) Everybody that goes to Bill Belichick, check, check, Bill Belichick system. Everybody that goes to his system performs. And on this conference call when they were talking to Julian Edelman, somebody asked him now that three quarterbacks are out, are you going to play quarterback? And he said, I don't know. But I tell you what, I'm here to help the team. And if the coach tells me to go send a glass of water to somebody, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it with a smile on my face as long as it helps us win. Right. If only the church could be like that. I'm, I'm, if only the church could not over, fight over community he- committee lead heads and who wants to be on the program and who going to buy the fish and who going to buy this. I ain't talking about us right now because we ain't had no problems like that. But just in general, the church, big big C, The old church as a whole, when you go place after place, they fight over stuff that doesn't matter. And if we could all just stay in our lane, Mm. we could do great things. Because people who want to come to the church will come in and see all this infighting. Or even worse, they'll all get together and fight on the visitor. Mm. And then we'll wonder why the church is closed. (laughs) We spend time kicking the help out. So if we can do the job, the job, we don't need necessarily more resources. We need to use the resources that we have. If we can get together and do our jobs and stay in our lanes, we can do great things. So the disciples made a request, and Jesus gave them a response. The issue is, is there is not a need for more faith but redirecting what you have in duty, dutiful service to God rather than being concerned about accolades. The disciples wanted more faith, but we need to understand how to use what we have. It's always interesting when I'm at work and I watch how one person is able to work a device and another person is not person that's able to usually get more things done is because they read the instruction manual. There are some of us that think that we can go through life without reading the instructions and more power to you, but I don't roll that way. On my day job, nine times out of ten, whatever answer I've ever needed, whatever device I needed to configure, whatever thing I needed to fix, whatever was broken, whatever thing I needed to turn on, if I just read the instructions, is right there. And sometimes we don't want to read the instructions because we are so concerned about getting to the top position. Uh, Proverbs says, do not exalt yourself in the presence of a king and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here. Then you should be put lower in the presence of a prince who your eyes have seen. Hmm. Being concerned about sitting up top, being concerned about being in the spotlight will get you demoted and humiliated because you'll be concerned about the wrong thing. Let your gift make room for you. Uh, Jesus said it himself in chapter 14 of of Luke, when he says, when you are invited to a wedding feast, do not sit sit down at the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give your place to this man. And you begin to take shame as you take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that he who invited you comes and he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever, him, who, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Hmm. We have to get used to executing what needs to be done. We have to get used to actually doing the work. And not getting caught up in the titles. And so there's a response. And with the response, there's a required action. They are to serve their masters day and night. We are to serve our master, which is God, day and night. The church is in dire need of work to do and we too busy fighting. Hello, hello. The church is in dire need of assistance. And we too busy fighting each other. Or if we ain't fighting each other, we fighting the new person that comes in. Hmm. And if we ain't fighting the new person that comes in, we waiting on somebody else to do it. I thought it was so-and-so's job to handle that. Hmm. And we operate... Like the servant, when we do finally get up and do the job that's supposed to be done, we expect some sort of song and dance for it being done. I laugh at some people when I hear things like, I take care of my kids. I go to work every day. I do this, I do that. When it's things that you are supposed to be doing anyway. We ought to operate without hope of fee or reward. We have to do the right action. And when we do the required action, we have to have the right attitude. We have to realize that by serving Christ, we are only doing our duty. And by serving Christ, we are going to encounter other people's attitudes. And not only are we going to incur other people's attitudes, we still have to have the right attitude mm-hmm. about it. All right. Why? Because we are the only Bible some people will ever read. We are the only sermon some people will ever hear. You will always be somebody's perception of a Christian. They're not going to go read the Bible cover to cover. You might find some outliers out there that will read the Bible cover to cover if they want to learn about Jesus. There might be some people out there, but for the most part, people are going to judge this Jesus by how you treat them. The work is supposed to be done, and it's supposed to be done with an attitude of of humility. The work is supposed to be done, and we got to realize that we are only doing what we are supposed to be doing. We have to have the right attitude. Why? Because you can never work harder than God, harder for God than what is required. There is no reward for it. The church, again, big church, capital C, is too small to be holding on to grudges that prevent the work from being done. Every time it's something that needs to be done, we can't talk about how it used to be. We can't talk about who made us mad when we did it and hold on to these grudges. When you hold on to grudges and you don't forgive people again, like uh, Leona Ellis, the children's director of Windsor Village, once said, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. Mm. It'll never happen. (laughs) And nine times out of ten, they've moved on. So we ought to be able to love our neighbor. Love the Lord with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. And love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, I realize that might be strange to some of us because some of us may not love ourselves. We may not understand that we are supposed to be the head and not the tail. We're supposed to be above and never be beneath. That we're supposed to be the lender and not the borrower. We might not have heard that God never told us we are the apple of God's eye. We have to continue to work because we are not living our own lives. The Bible says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, I live. It is not I who lives, but the Christ who lives in me. So when I go, everywhere I go, I'm taking Christ with me. And the other reason we need to do the work and just go on about our business and not be all caught up in the work is because you can't work your way into heaven. Mm. All right. No matter how many committees you served on, no matter how many times you fried the chicken for the chicken dinner, no matter how many flyers you pass out, no matter how many tracks you do, no matter if you can name all 66 books of the Bible forward and backwards, that all doesn't matter. It's good to know. It's good to be able to have that and execute that. But ain't none of that getting you into heaven. There's a sermon illustration that they have when someone's on their way to heaven and they're trying to get in and a man comes up to the pearly gates and Peter's there asking for. And Peter's there and he says, I'm, I would like admission into heaven. And Peter says, on what basis? And he says, well, I worked recently in the world of financial management. I labored hard and even made a realm a place where God's will will be done on the job. I worked hard on my job. And Peter said, well, of course, but we expected that. Um, Well, um, earlier, I worked several years in a mission field and tackled the causes of poverty and injustice in third world countries. I worked directly with the children and families in their communities. I even helped some people escape from human traffickers. Peter said, we know, but that all needed to be done. But look here. I've worked hard to be faithful since God called me. I was on all the committees. I went to all the Bible studies. I went to church on a regular basis. I told everybody I know about Jesus, and I worked hard, and I held my hand to the plow, and I never looked back. And Peter said, and your point is. (laughs) The man got, got a little nervous and started stuttering, and getting, getting, getting nervous about what was going on because he was worried because he had thought that all that work that he had done was supposed to get him a first class ticket to heaven. And so he's upset and he's stammering now and he said, that's all I've got. If you ain't going to let me in on that, I've got nothing else to lean on but the grace of God. And Peter said, exactly. Now, come on in. You can't work your way into heaven. The work has already been done. The work was done on that Friday morning on a hill called Calvary, where they took my Savior and hung him up between two thieves, and he died. And not some sort of metaphysical death, not some sort of there's no blood there and everybody was there. Just imagine, no, he actually died. He became that which he was supposed to save, and that was human. He died, but that is not where the story ends. Early... On the third day he got up with all power in his hands that whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open.